This episode is brought to you in part by Palm Beach Atlantic University's fully online Certificate in Cultural Apologetics program. Learn how to show the reasonableness and desirability of the gospel from leading Christian philosophers. For more information, go to pbaapologetics.com. And I just kind of fell literally on the ground um, on the street corner and just started sobbing in front of my kids because the old Rebecca would have been able to get through that. And I just came viscerally aware of my smallness and my weakness. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark. I am your host and the online managing editor for Christianity Today. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Rebecca Lyons, who co-founded Q Ideas along with her husband, Gabe Lyons. Q Ideas is all about conversations around Christian involvement and culture. Her latest book, Free Fall to Fly, is out and available now. Rebecca writes a lot about things like mental illness and the general sort of mental challenges and emotional challenges I think a lot of us like to blow off. She has a a weird knack for shining the spotlight on some of the things within herself and ourselves that uh, we might rather leave unexplored, sort of those things that are under the rocks that we haven't turned over yet. In fact, there was an interesting point in the interview, sort of later in the interview that I think you'll hear and you'll you'll probably notice when I was caught a little off guard by by this exactly this kind of thing where she says something about herself that illuminated I think something inside of me that I recognized and it made me a little uncomfortable it was of course if you listen to the show you know that I love those kind of moments it it impressed me because it showed us a kind of self-awareness that I think was important actually um In general, I really appreciate her sort of like being willing to not even destigmatize. I think we use that word. We don't think about what leads to destigmatization because that's kind of the end result of what happens when you talk about things like mental illness and emotional struggle. But I think more importantly, and, and sort of the first step to that is just kind of recognizing how human those emotions are, how it is really a part of being human is experiencing fear and anxiety. And, and it sort of nailed me in that moment, like that, uh, this was a shared struggle. This wasn't something that was weird about me. Um, and I think that's why people appreciate her books and her writing and her speaking is because she has a, a way of, of drawing that out, of drawing out the, not just the fact like, oh, I struggle with something and you do too, but how that is a human thing. We talk a little bit about some of the questions you may be asking now about the nuance between struggle and sin and how to think through those things. We definitely talk about that. So I, so hang in there and listen to the interview because uh, it's a really good one and I found it really helpful. We actually have um, some good stuff in the new issue of CT Magazine. There's an issue, speaking of sort of like emotional struggle, there's an issue, um, There's a the cover story in the latest CT Magazine is really good exploration of self-control and what causes us to become better at self-control. And there's a little bit of research that shows that the more uh, we attend church, the more we have like a weekly church attendance, the more likely we are to be good at self-control. Really interesting tidbit. I would highly recommend you subscribe to Christianity Today so you, you can read that article. We offer redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. As a subscriber, each year you'll get 10 award-winning print issues, an interactive PDF edition of each issue, 
full web access to Chris Jane today and on live archives dating back to our very first issue in 1956. We've set up a special page for you that will allow you to get a discounted subscription plus a bonus download, which um, your podcast host, yours truly, created especially for our listeners. You can get that deal over at orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling. Just head over there to subscribe. By doing that, you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism, helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling every week. Here it is, my... Uh, my very enlightening, uncomfortably enlightening interview with Rebecca Lyons. So you're here on your book tour. Yeah. And you have a really nice setup out there. I went and looked at you it. Did. <laughs> it's really nice. They do That's a great better job. than a lot of people's book tour setup. No, I know. I cannot complain. Compassion's been amazing. Yeah. Been on this with Anne. Boss Camp and Christy Knuckles. So uh-huh. this is the last day of the bus part, and tomorrow we head to Liberty to do chapel and then one final stop. Are you all on a bus together? Uh-huh. We have a crew of 11 on our bus. That's intense. It is. That's the most kind intense. kind of fun, though. Maybe I just don't get around much, but I, I've never heard of a book tour that intense. Well, you know what? Um, Zondervan was really gracious. We're both, Ann and I are both with Zondervan. Yeah. And we wrote our books together and over the last couple of years, and we're close friends, and we just went to them and just said we've learned through these these messages that you cannot have freedom without brokenness. Yeah. And you cannot have brokenness without freedom. Yeah. And so what if we did a broken and free tour and then we got compassion involved and, and then we wanted an artist and Christy's a dear friend. So it just kind of all really came together. But it's taken about a year to plan. Right. Yeah. So so these are are these people that were your friends ahead of this tour or was Uh this tour something that brought you together no we were all friends this came out of friendship so that's why we were all excited about it because it is a lot to kind of leave home and family and be gone for any extended stay but when you can do it with people you love then that makes it a little easier being gone that's like (laughs) that's like living the dream it is it really is you have to be tired of touring you know yeah today's day i think 12 13 okay yeah so in a row or like in a row okay and I, we did do a show in nashville a week ago friday mm-hmm. so i got to sleep at home that night and see the kids then but okay other got than it. that no you live in nashville yes do you like it yes <laughs> i've only been yeah. there two and a half years since moving from manhattan uh-huh. and i was a little reluctant to get there yeah. transition is always the slowest for me right. out of our family of five but after about six weeks of a pity party um <laughs> you know i think the lord just uh, said to me, and I write about this in Free to Begin Again. Um, he says, you cannot see the unknown until you release the known. And there was a side of me holding on to New York as a place of my identity where I found my voice and found a season of rescue and calling began. Mm-hmm. And so it, it felt like, again, yet another, you know, reset. Um, but here we are two and a half years in and it's right. It's good for everyone. How long had you lived in uh, Manhattan before that? Four and a half. Four and a half. Mm-hmm. And but, so you didn't grow up in Manhattan. No, no. I'm Where did you grow Florida. up? Florida. Florida. Wow. <laughs> I'm a Southeastern girl yeah. for sure. You must have had that I, I suspect it would have been more than six weeks of a pity party, party oh, when yeah. you moved to Manhattan. Oh, it was. It was about two years of Crash and Burn, which okay. became my first book. That's Free, good to Free know. Free Fall to Fly, yeah. I need to read that book. Yeah, it chronicles a very, um, uh, let's see, 
entertaining read, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. Just, um, I, I developed panic disorder four months in. Wow. And so that's the journey. And that's really kind of where the Lord got loud. Um, I left the Bible Belt of Atlanta. Gabe and I had been married for 13 years, had three children, and then moved to New York City when the our kids were four, seven, and nine, and our oldest, Cade, has Down syndrome. That's a whole nother story. Right. Um, so we, you know, we left all that we knew and all that was familiar to move to New York, and yeah. that's when things really took a, a turn. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we uh, we always start the podcast with one question, and it's this: um, How would you define your calling? Uh, I would say calling is where your talents and burdens collide. So for me, um, you know, Buchner has his way of saying it. There, a lot of people have kind of where the world's um, hunger and your deep gladness meet, you know? So I think there's a lot of ways of saying that, but for me in particular, the talents is the birthright gifts, those things that the Lord put in your womb. I love, one of my favorite books is Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. And he says, we all come into this world with birthright gifts, but early on we abandon them or others disabuse them. Right. But if we're aware, awake, and able to admit our loss, we'll spend the second half of our lives recovering those gifts. Mm-hmm. And so that that was the case for me. I was called Becca Book as a kid. I never thought I was a writer. Hmm. My mom told me when I was 33, I always thought you'd write. And I remember pushing my son on the swing and being like, that would have been so helpful when I was <laughs> picking a major. Yep. But I just, I, I read 62 Nancy Drew books in fourth grade. I, I just loved the power of story. Uh-huh. And now I know that, you know, readers do make writers. The burden part, I think, is harder for people to tackle because right. a, a lot of people kind of know what they're wired for or, right. or what comes naturally for them. But the burden is such an important part of calling because it's not just what you do, but why. What's the passion and the fire behind it to keep you going? Yeah. Um, and for me, I think burden's informed by the life you've led, the story you were born into. Uh, it's the thing that broke your heart or continues to break your heart. Mm-hmm. And it's usually something close to you, something that you've had to wrestle through yourself or those you love have walked through. And so it's just, you've almost gained some ownership in that topic because you've had to live it. So what would be your burden? Well, my burden really began, you know, when I was younger, I think it's, it's mental illness in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched some anxiety and and mild depression in my own family. Um, And then I had my firstborn son at 26 with Down syndrome. And so I'm, I'm seeing kind of myself sandwiched between generation above me struggling with some things generation below me and I'm kind of right there in the middle of it all. So there's that then I start building to, aspect yes. to it too. And yeah. then I start to kind of spiral in uh-huh. my mid thirties, uh-huh. just like I'd seen happen in my own family. Right. And so when that panic disorder snuck in and like a low grade depression, you know, I was faced with it, you know, front and center. And so I think when we re- use the gifts, like calling is where your talents and burdens collide. Mm-hmm. It would mean that I would use any gifts of writing or communication to to talk about the things that break my heart or, and that I care a lot about. And so for me, when I suffered that panic disorder for over a year and the Lord kind of rescued me in that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I started to study on mental health for women in particular and, and found one in four are on medication for anxiety or depression, which is 400 times what it was in 1988. So there's, there's a real passion around that, especially in the church, right? Because we you know, anxiety became my fancy word for fear. And, and, you know, God has something to say about this. He says, my life first, which is not a coincidence, has always been, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was interesting. Like, why would a kid, you know, even in their elementary years, pick that for their life first, but for whatever reason, it's something I held on to. And so I think now if I can just come alongside women who are, or men, 
who are walking through this journey that think that this anxiety piece or depression piece is loud and debilitating, mm-hmm. then then what does God <laughs> what does God have to say about that? You know, right. I, I sometimes even talk to people who don't acknowledge God, and I just say, first of all. Do we believe there is a God? And secondly, if we do, does he care? Mm-hmm. Does he see? Mm-hmm. And we know that he's Elroy, the God who sees. If, mm. we, if we believe in the nature of God, then finally, are we willing to invite him in? And I talk about this a lot in the book, in the chapter, Free to Ask. And it gets a little squirmy for some mm. people um, because we, you know, even the healing journey isn't buttoned up, right? You know, right. there's some we see now, there's some we're walking out, there's the fullness we see on the other side of eternity. Yeah. So I think what what in the here and now can we be armored with and how do we face how do we face it? And so that's been a passion for me. It's you know, I I had a moment in twenty eleven where I did cry out rescue me, deliver me and mm-hmm. I cannot do this without you. And, and, and I came out of a panic attack in that moment. And it was, I think, you know, a side of it was, I wasn't expecting it. You know, I think sometimes the Lord gives us a story we can't shut up about. And it took me a while to kind of acknowledge it, um, with people. But I also learned that, you know, anxiety just doesn't go away forever. It's not like I'm never (laughs) under, you know, that kind of, that the, there isn't a fiery dart that's always kind of going after the places that are vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially when you start to speak out against it or you start to try to equip even people with how to face it in ways that re- that involve faith. Yeah. Um, you feel like that makes it worse. Like, yeah, I think the enemy's like, you know, double it. Let's double down. Then, yeah. you know, I mean, honestly, there were nights writing this book, you are free where I, I was full of, there was torment there. Hmm. And it always comes when your natural ego defenses are down. Usually like when you're asleep or, you know, there's there's just moments where, you know, you'll kind of wake up in the middle of something and I f- feel fear. I feel mm. literal fear. And that's where I just have to kind of claim the, cl- the cross and the resurrection and how it's bigger than yeah. all these things that come up. And it doesn't matter how long we've walked with God. I think that's part of Paul when he talks about the thorn. You know, the whole point is to fulfill whatever it was that God had for his life right. um, would require... None of Paul and all of God. What were some of the, when you started to feel that fear, what were some of the ways you found yourself trying to deal with it before you learned to call on God? Like what were some of the things you found yourself naturally doing that maybe were helpful or weren't so helpful? You know, I think my whole, the whole journey, Uh I would naturally just go, Jesus, you know, like crying out. Oh, good. Yeah. Like that's good impulse. Um, it was funny. We were on a bus earlier this week, you mm-hmm. know, on this tour, driving through the mountains, like literally the Carolina Smoky Mountains yeah. through the middle of the night. Uh-huh. And there was several times between 12 and 5 a.m. where I would, from my bunk, go, uh-huh. Jesus, 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 like, I think we're going to die. Like, it felt like we were going down the mountain, literally, and that I would be the only one right. awake to witness us barreling to our death. Yeah. Meanwhile, the poor driver, I mean, he was just doing all he could because those were some crazy steep... And we're in this extended cab, you know, uh-huh. truck with a trailer behind us. You know, I do think it's always been a natural instinct of me to just to to speak his name because mm-hmm. there's so much power there. It's a steadying force. But I don't I wouldn't say that 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 was my only resolve. I think early on when I was in New York and this all panic disorder kind of developed in planes and trains and elevators and subways and crowds. Mm. Well, you can't avoid those things 
I mean, I had to be in the middle of those things all the time. Yeah. So I would, I would almost respond through avoidance. Like I'd rather just not, you know, if like okay. the subway yeah. was too full, I'd jump literally back off mm-hmm. and I'd wait and I'd be late to where I was going and sure. I'd wait till the train was almost empty. Right. Or I would just cry and walk myself back up to the street and walk and get a cab and then like, or just go back home, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there was a sense of like, would my life now be crippled? Would I miss out on things? I'll never forget going to my daughter's chapel service. It was only two subway stops, but... I, it was during winter in December, it's full of shoppers with lots of bags and more and more people jump on the subway at the last second. So I'm trying to literally claw the doors back open once Mm -hmm. they shut and strip off my coat and my scarf and drop my coffee because I'm like just trying to kind of be free from everything right up against me. Yeah, yeah. And so I know I look insane to everyone around me, Uh like like everyone's kind of backing away from me a little bit, like what's she going to do next? Yeah. So there were a lot of humiliating moments there um, in that season. I, you know, I broke down on the curb at the Macy's parade in front of my kids. And that huh. was the probably the worst. Huh. That was one of the worst where I, there was a wall of people thick, you know, a whole street, you know, a whole block thick right. of people, no cell service. And I couldn't push through them. And I was so afraid I'd lose Cade. So I couldn't get service to get my husband and I just kind of fell literally on the ground um, on the street corner and just started sobbing in front of my kids Mm -hmm. because the old Rebecca would have been able to get through that. Mm -hmm. And I just came viscerally aware of my smallness and my weakness. Can I ask how you explain that to them? um, Thinking back to that day, I think I just said then, because they wouldn't have known panic disorder or anything like that. It would have been more they just saw me crying. Right. And I just said, you know, I can't get you guys through to dad. It's just too many people. Mm-hmm. And I and I could use the excuse of Cade. Like, I can't, we can't risk Cade getting lost here. He's yeah. nonverbal, largely. Yeah. Um, it just would not. And so they understood that. Okay, like, yeah. Like, and I said, I'll just go home with Cade. We'll grab a cab and go home. And you guys, you guys can meet up with dad. And Gabe came back and got them. Mm-hmm. He literally had to come get them and then take them back with him. Wow. Through the crowd. And I just went home. There's, it seems like, so I've got, um, got an almost two year old and I'm just thinking about these things a lot. And it seems like there's an impulse. There's sort of like a a tension there between like wanting to tell them the truth and then wanting to protect them from having to worry about their parents in that way. And I, I feel this way about the larger problem. There's, there's a sense in which you start, um, Maybe this is like a better articulated as the the primary tension like maybe you face in your in your calling is that um I think the church is sometimes resistant to these ideas and a lot of times it's cuz they feel like it I think it's sometimes because it, they feel like it legitimizes hmm. the idea or like it it like normalizes things that the they see as sin Ooh, you know okay yeah so like yeah. you're not supposed to s- fear it's so com- we'll pretend that we don't. It's been framed as like <laughs> it's been framed to me before as like a command. Yeah. Don't fear, fear. not. Right. Fear not. Yeah. That's a command. So then it's it seems like in the sort of standard mm-hmm. the standard way of talking about these things, mm-hmm. you would just say, like, guys, don't do it. Well, right. But also, you know, it's pretty clear that kindness leads to repentance. Right. Maybe not screaming no, leads to yeah. repentance. Yeah. And I find that when I talk about fear from the vantage point of no, this isn't from God, mm-hmm. you know? So like, so there's a way of talking about it in a way that's not 
attacking the person, but it's also really important to understand that this isn't a, this is not a battle of flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. It's principalities and powers, and and if we don't believe the enemy is real and the things that he wants to target us with are real, mm-hmm. then 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 that changes almost the way we even approach the sin, right? Yeah. You know, the temptation, the sin that easily entangles, right? You can see how you'd get down the road and never mean to, for that to happen or never right. want it to happen or intend, but but here you are. You're mm-hmm. caught up in something um, that you need rescue from. And why I love Psalms so much is that David... You know, he's a man after God's own heart and every other psalm, you know, he's lamenting and rescue me from the pit. And in some ways, you know, David feels a little bipolar, which makes me feel a lot more comfortable <laughs> he because he's That's just true. so honest with the I've Lord. I've never thought about that. You know? That's totally I mean, true. I, I, I sometimes don't want to say that because it's obviously just kind of poking fun. But it, yeah. really the sense with it is that he makes me feel more normal. Yeah. He makes me feel like he's yes. honest with the Lord with even the despair that comes across. And you think about Jesus. I mean, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief Mm. and he sweat drops of blood in the garden. Like it's even, even taking on the form of man, the the, the human side of him was able to um, experience something that was very traumatic for him. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think in some ways there's an empathy there for us to go like, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you power and a love and a sound mind to respond to the fear. Right. And and so so fear's real and by not talking about it, I think actually creates a lot of bondage in the church, which is why I wrote this book, You Are Free. Um it's, you know, Galatians is the book on freedom and it's it's not to those outside the church, it's to the church themselves and you know, really what Paul was getting loud about for six chapters there was that that they had accepted the freedom that came with the cross and the resurrection. But then soon after, they started taking back all, all the religious laws that, that they needed to add to what Christ did, rendering the cross not enough. And Paul's like, don't run back, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes by voicing the real vices that we all are under, yeah. that we all fall victim to, yeah. then helps us respond be reminded that a you cannot heal what is hidden. So let's not pretend these things aren't tr- aren't happening. Right. But let's confess them, and then the idea is there that confession becomes then the gateway to freedom. Mm-hmm. Like the confession itself invites God in. It's it, it it begins a dialogue that says I need you, right? And and I invite you into all that is broken here, so that you can do what only you can do, which is redeem. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So. From Christianity Today, this is Mike Cosper. I'm the director of CT Media and one of the hosts of The Bulletin, a podcast about the people, events, and issues that are shaping our world. Each week on The Bulletin, we bring in a variety of guests for conversations about the most important questions Christians are asking. Our hope is to encourage the church to live with a faithful presence in a fallen world and to cut through the polarizing noise that's dividing not just the church, but the communities around us. New episodes of The Bulletin come out every Friday, so subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, talent plus burden. seems your talent is writing. So mm-hmm. that seems like I your... I guess. Yeah. Know, yeah. I mean, writing doesn't come... I mean, writing is more labor intensive for me than public speaking. Okay. Which I wouldn't have ever thought public speaking was something I would do. Um, yeah. 
But when the book came out, I started sharing and I found like a few months in, I was going to a conference where I had three talks prepared and then I left my laptop on the airplane mm. and had no notes for the whole weekend. Oh and so I had to literally just do Wing the it. whole thing. And something about me came alive in that huh. too, uh-huh. that I... I mean, I still prepare and make notes now, but I rarely actually look at them. <laughs> right, right, right. Because, you know, I think sometimes what what's in there just comes out. It's more yeah. me just sticking with the time and, you know, asking God. There's a lot of prayer. Like, I only want to, like, may the words be yours, obviously. So show me, you know, what should be said. That, that doesn't quantify, like, not being prepared. It's mm-hmm. just more of it comes a little more naturally for me the writing is a discipline absolutely now journaling isn't but again because that can be unedited but right but writing you know i enjoy it but it's definitely a labor of love and then the (laughs) burden would be the mental illness Mm -hmm. piece Yeah, yeah if you were to be so specific with that i think that's because that's my story that's the closest thing mm-hmm uh, but I'm now finding that the burden kind of translates to whatever bondage looks like oh, yeah. that holds us enslaved. I've prayed with so many people who've survived suicide attempts mm. or who are walking out of homelessness or addiction, um, prostitution, you know, relationships of um, brokenness in marriage or estrangement from children. You know, you think about it, it's just everywhere yeah whatever that bondage looks like that's uh, and that's all stuff that sort of tends to define you and so it seems like what you're talking about is is helping people to see it doesn't have to well no we're never we never ought to label ourselves by our brokenness you know i think sometimes the world wants to put a label on everything we can't Mm -hmm. that looks quote-unquote off normal (laughs) but then like what's left right exactly you know we've got a label for everything and god never says that i label you by your brokenness, I label you as like your identity, sons and daughters. And and I think, um, you know, in Galatians, he just says, you're no longer slaves, you're heirs, mm-hmm. you're heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And, and Romans goes on and says, um, you're no longer fearful slaves. Yeah. You're like, you're not fearful. You're, you, you are sons and daughters of a king. And so if we start to label ourselves by the identity that we are and not by our brokenness, then I think it helps approach those things that come against us mm-hmm. with a proper perspective. Yeah. They don't f- define us. And in the book, I call it ankle weights. You know, mm. Our bondage becomes ankle weights, and mm-hmm. eventually we celebrate them and decorate them and <laughs> claim them as our own, and, yeah. we, and we take on the, their identity. Huh. Yeah. And then they become like the thing that we champion huh. without ever considering that these weights would fall away. Right. Or that something could change. And despair is when we believe will never change. Yeah. That is another tension because there is a tendency uh, for all of us, I think, to want to, I don't know, maybe like reclaim this thing that we struggle with. I mean, all across the spectrum for almost any uh, struggle you can think of, you see people saying it's it's uh, it's good. It's a good part of who I am and sort of embracing that idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I would say, I don't know. It's interesting that you asked that question. It's hard to imagine how something that, you know, you think God is the author of death. I mean, sorry, God is the author of life. Yeah. Enemy is the author of death. And it feels like sometimes in our lives, we're kind of faced with those two things. Some things are very life-giving and some bring mm-hmm. defeat and discouragement and despair. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to look at those things that bring defeat and discouragement and, dis- and despair as something to be celebrated, but it also, you can understand why, 
you submit to whatever those things are because Christ submitted, you know, he, he submitted, um, to death, you know, for the point of life. So God obviously sees the narrative and he equips us for it, but I think it's always never our story of struggle. It's his story of rescue. Mm -hmm. So we can even rejoice in the suffering, you know, in James one, count it all trials when you face, count it joy when you face those trials. Right. But why? Not because they're trials. Don't count it joy because they're trials. Count it joy because it builds perseverance mm. and faith. It mm-hmm. grows your faith. It's it's always for a reason, yeah. ultimately, that is redemptive. Right. So when was the, you may have already alluded to this, and if so, we can just move on. But when was the exact moment you realized that this was something, if there was an exact moment, that you realized that this was the something that you were called to do? Well, after that moment when the Lord rescued me in September of 2011, in the middle of the night, out of that panic moment, I remember over the new year with friends, they they asked us to go around and name our year in one word. Yeah. It was kind of a, you know, a tradition every New Year's Eve. And so they got to me and I just said rescue without thinking first. Hmm. And they said, why did you say rescue? Because, of course, they'd walked with me. And I said, I don't know. I think it's the first time I've really experienced the rescue of God in the 30 years I've called myself a Christian. Wow. Uh, I prayed, you know, the sinner's prayer at age five because I didn't want to burn like most people, you know, would probably feel similar. It's it's pretty successful evangelistic strategy with yeah. a five-year-old. And it wasn't, and but I did still believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he rose again and that he saved me from my sin. So it wasn't like I you didn't have the- that was genuine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I did want to follow him, but it wasn't even really until my mid- 30s that I realized what I was being rescued from. Mm. And in that moment, it was from from gripping fear. And and so when I had that story, I began the new year and um, I was just talking to some friends and they're like, there's a lot of people, you know, when you're sick, you only see what's broken inside of you. But mm-hmm. when, when the healing journey begins, you start to look outward and you start to see everyone else struggling yeah. with things just like you. Yeah, totally. And so I, um, some friends were like, you should share more about like what that season has been like. Huh. And so I had journaled some and slowly it just, I wrote an article for Q, our, you know, the, the nonprofit my husband and I run called Why Are Women Fading? Mm-hmm. And the idea behind that was, you know, women, a lot of us march off to college, you know, with zeal and ambition and ready to charge hell with a water pistol. But two <laughs> decades later, we've lost ourselves and we've and we're fading and we've lost who we are. And we've what lost. happens in those two decades? Um, a, a fear of purposelessness settles okay. in, I think, for a lot of us. You know, you think of the existential crisis really, it roots out of affluence and boredom, honestly. Okay. Is this, are you talking about um, specifically Christian women? I'm talking about, no, culture at large. Okay. But obviously it does affect the church. Sure. Um, I love the work of Viktor Frankl. I've done a lot of his, you know, read his work on, um, Logotherapy and man's search for meaning. And part of the things he says we struggle with this is because we're no longer governed by what we must do, which is like hunt for food to eat that day. Yeah. And we're no longer governed by what we ought to do, which is to care for the elderly or for, you know, for the sick, right. be the voice for the voiceless. We're left to be governed by what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And frankly, we weren't made to govern hmm. or govern ourselves by what we want to do. So it kind of comes back to this idea of surrender and submission mm-hmm. um, under Christ. Um, and so I just just woke to that and felt burdened for it and just became a voice for it, even though I was not an expert at by any means, sure. just had kind of a heart for it and had walked through that road myself. So that became kind of your purpose like that in, in a sense, like that solves your problem well, that you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I write on um, the, the last chapter of You Are Free is called Free to Set Free. Mm-hmm. 
you know. And, oh, interesting. And, yeah. Right. And so Frankel always says, you know, if 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 we put a Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, we should always follow with a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast because hmm. freedom is always comes with great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Freedom is always meant to be shared. And, you know, Paul talks about that in Galatians. He's like, don't use your freedom for yourselves, um, but serve one another humbly in love. That's how freedom grows. Yeah. And so at the end of the book, I'm really championing, like, freedom attracts freedom. Freedom sets others free. Like, that's the point, that, that you always give it away. And I, what I found at the end of the book, I just talk about a moment where after I walk all this, like, journey of panic disorder that began on planes and would always creep in on planes, I'm now having to get on a plane every week mm-hmm. to go talk mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. And my old place of panic became a sanctuary in the sky. I would, huh. you know, now yeah. it's like a place of where I just put on, you know, worship and pray and read in that time because it kind of just keeps me prepared for that wherever it is I'm going to share. But one particular time... We're on the runway of LaGuardia and it's a snowstorm and they kept de-icing the plane. And we were literally on the runway for six hours before we could take off. And a girl next to me starts having a Mm. panic attack. Mm -hmm. And so I like look in her eyes and just kind of like, girl, you've got this. I know how you feel. I've been here before. I like get her like my favorite drink of like half cran apple, half sparkling water. I was like, this will help. And I just started to ask her questions. And um, and it, it struck me in that moment like. I'm free to set free. Like that's part of this. And just by giving people something to focus on outside of that moment of fear, she had purpose. I started asking her about things that bring life to her. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we just need someone to kind of take our hand in the middle of that and say, your pain can always lead to purpose. So let's, let's, let's explore that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, um, was there ever a time when you, uh, doubted that you were called to do this or you felt like, wait, maybe all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, it's so interesting how enemy will try to silence you no matter how much quote unquote your faith has grown. Mm-hmm. Um and I remember even in this last year writing the book feeling such deep feelings of inadequacy. Mm-hmm. Um I remember sending the book out to several people I loved and respected and I'm like none of them will endorse this book. Yeah. Like I don't even it wasn't even yeah. logical or rational, <laughs> but I just remember telling Gabe like this is going to be this is such a terrible book and I would like start to just speak these kind of lies over it because I would just be gripped in it. Uh-huh. Um, what does Gabe say? Oh, well, he's just like, where's this coming from? Has anyone <laughs> given you any hint of that? Or right. like, I was like, no, there d- doesn't need to make sense. Right, <laughs> it's, right. just, it's just still what's going on in my, ha- yeah. in my head. And, and I think that's why I get so passionate about this because the enemy's not going to take this lying down, mm-hmm. right? When we're talking about freedom, we're preaching gospel here. Um, we're preaching that like that the perfect law of freedom has set us free from the bondage of sin that leads to death. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's like not a message he wants out there, especially in the church who is suffering from all these things that are bringing the church to this spiritual death in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like revival is taking what was once alive that's grown dormant and bringing it back to life. Yeah. Revival begins in the church. And if we want a great awakening that looks like something Jonathan Edwards would have been familiar with. Like it's not going to happen apart from the church. It's not going to happen from our personal one by one by one, our souls being revived, our hearts being revived where we start to read the gospel again and believe it that what it says is true. Sorry. I get a little excited. So what? Yeah, no, that's good. I'm trying to figure out like what, 
what was the what are the specific things that like trigger that? Do you have? I guess it sounds like nothing triggers. It's just your brain like tells you <laughs> a crazy it, brain. Told you. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm relating, but I'm just saying, <laughs> like your brain tells you like you're not good enough. Oh, I mean, a great example for this was you know in the fall I didn't sleep a lot. You know, mm. um, I tried, mm-hmm. but I'd wake up most nights around three and four in the morning. And in that time of vulnerability, you know, I think he looks like he looks upon moments where your natural ego defenses are down. And what it what it reminds me of <coughs> is that the God is an ever present help in any moment of trouble. Mm-hmm. And that if we ever get to a point where we feel like we've arrived and we're invincible, you know, I think we become a tar- we become we become reliant on our own strength. And that's never the point. Right. Um I think God's ultimately after our whole heart, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that comes in the valleys and sometimes that comes in the mountaintops. Yeah. But, but that, that we say my str- like apart from you, we're nothing and our, and your strength is made perfect in all of our weakness. And if we could just remain humble and broken in that place, knowing that all power comes from him, all power comes from the spirit mm-hmm. of God, giving the, that power and authority, then then I think we're able to carry it in a way that um, just relies on him. I pray, I pray that we can be a people that rely on his strength day by day by day. In the in in working out this calling, uh, what would you say is like the the biggest struggle that you've had to deal with? I think probably the biggest struggle is people wanting resolution, mm-hmm. like kind of in some ways, like what you're asking of like, so when do you? Why does this? How you know? Mm-hmm. And there is this sense of like, can we just button it up with a bow? Right. Like. You know, Hollywood wants to do that with movies. You stole my next question. <laughs> Can we just button this up with a bow? <laughs> right? I mean, we could just cut this interview <laughs> short if we could, right? I hope that following Jesus is a lifelong pursuit, that mm-hmm. a lifelong, humbling, beautiful journey. And um, I don't think that we can be heirs with Christ without sharing in the suffering mm-hmm. of Christ. We all want to claim the resurrection of Christ. But think of how close you've come to the people you've actually walked in suffering with. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the intimacy gets loud. Right. That's where it gets real. You think of how the vine and how the branch is grafted into the vine. What's required for that in real life, in nature? It's that both sides are cut mm-hmm. and they're raw and they're exposed. And the greater the cut and the tear, the greater the union. So we sometimes want to think like, well, if we walk this life with Christ, we never suffer. And it's like... Romans 8 just says, no, because you are heirs with Christ, you share in the suffering. Like you almost get the privilege to actually walk through the valley of the shadow of death with him. Mm-hmm. But it's walking through, you know, you're never camping there or making a home there, but you're walking through it and knowing that he is with you. He goes before you. He brings people around. Um, to me, that's just the great intimacy of a, a life of discipleship. And, you know, freedom is costly. So how can we be carriers of that without it costing us something? Yeah. So when you talk about people pushing for resolution, what kinds of things, what kinds of resolution do they want? They want, they want you to like solve their mental illness problem. You want, they want you to solve their, that's a great thing they're struggling with. Well, I think they want resolution as to particularly in the chapter free to ask. All right. Like why does God heal some in a moment? Why does it take a lifetime? Why Mm -hmm. do we never see it? Yeah. Um, this side. Yeah. Well, who am I to answer that? (laughs) You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but what I do think Revelation twelve eleven says is the enemy is bound by two things, Christ's blood and our testimony, right. our story. And so what we can know and, and in response to that is when God does do something and he does often when we cry out, you know, 
you know, if you've had three days where you haven't been riddled with anxiety, then then share that. Mm-hmm. You know, the word testimony means do it again. Mm-hmm. And by just speaking that out, someone hears that and they're like, I want that. Do it again. You yeah. know, it builds the faith by being honest with what God has done. But I like you talking about, as an example, three days without anxiety. Yeah. It doesn't mean you like never a, struggle ever. Yeah. That's such like a normal testimony. Yeah. Um, and I feel like one of the struggles people have is when you tell this really amazing testimony yes. of like a marriage redeemed, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, people are like, great for yeah. you. Yeah. Great. That's great. Yeah. And, th- and then a lot of times all we hear are the, all we hear are those yeah. But what about the ones that aren't? You yeah. Know? Well, then, then I do think it's like, well, then what in your life is redemptive right now? And right. if you can't see it, ask him to show you. Yeah. Um, while I didn't walk through panic disorder, you know, six months ago, I got locked in a bathroom and the panic rose in me faster than I could even say my name. Yeah. I mean, it was as if I was shot back seven years prior hmm. to that year of 2011. And I could just feel so discouraged and like, are you serious? After all this time, right. nothing's changed. And then I look up and I see, <laughs> I see a little window like where I could hoist myself up on the toilet and like literally push myself out of this window. It was just barely enough for me to get out. And I remember <laughs> getting out and sitting on the ledge right on the outside of that window and kind of like slowly calming down and just brought to tears. And I was like, I could focus on the fact that panic rose in me, or I could focus on the fact that you provided a way of escape. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the bigger thing as that he provides a way out yeah he provides a way out it might not be an immediate like uh you're never going to struggle with this again Mm -hmm. it might be like day by day by day by day will he make a way of escape yeah in this work um in this calling what would you say is your deepest fear Hmm. i don't know i don't know if i would call it a fear but you know i write early in the book that that if if i'm operating from a wound and calling. And Mm -hmm. I realized I was actually early on and I write this in free, free to confess. I, I really, you know, being home with kids, I never entered any diaper changing competitions, but the minute I step foot on a stage, I'm comparing myself to all the other people who write and speak and, you know, read all my one star reviews. And did anybody retweet (laughs) this or buy the book? And all of a sudden feeling deeply inadequate. And the Lord showed me that day that I was operating from a broken heart and that I was desperate for public affection. And he said it kind of rooted earlier on in life where I was held at arm's length and that I was huh. looking for this public affection to heal a private rejection. And he said, public affection will never heal private rejection. Oh gosh, that just got a little too close to home for me. Right. That's really relatable. Right. That's, I'm like squirming in my Sorry. Right no, that's okay. <laughs> well, I think it's a lot of us, right? You yeah. know, I was um, kind of the mantras of my youth were come, but not too close, share, but not too much, yeah. live, live, but not too free. So, uh-huh. so I always kind of had that sense that I was a little too much. Right. Um, right. You know, like yeah. simmer down. Yeah. Don't feel too much. Don't be too much. So that's where the book really the story begins in this book is where I just said, please, God, heal my heart. Every yeah. broken part, because I was operating out of a lie that says I'm not worthy of love unless I earn it. Yeah. And so just growing up that way that translated over to the way I thought God saw me, too. And that public affection was way loud for me. And so right. I think if I had a fear for that in the future is that, that the public affection would mean more than it should. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, I like feel like I have to go out and confess that every time I teach. Yeah. So it kind of helps it stay That's good. right there. Because, yeah. you know, we cannot teach what we, we... We often teach what we have to learn or mm-hmm. we've had to learn. Um, and so I pray that just the confession of that um, will just keep me keenly aware that like this is for an audience of one. Yeah, that's good. So, and uh, last question is, and this one we ask everyone, 
uh, if you could get into a time machine, go back in time, step out of that time machine, introduce yourself to yourself, what would you tell her? You know, I, I felt a lot of shame in my teens and so condemned. And I would tell her today that conviction and con- condemnation are not the same thing. Conviction says, like, you did something wrong. Condemnation says you are something wrong. Right. Um, and then I would tell her that, you know, 25 years later, she'd find a God full of grace that, like, just loves her mm-hmm. and that saw it all and still loved her. You've been listening to The Calling. Rebecca Lyons is the co-founder of Q Ideas and the author of Free Fall to Fly, available now. You can follow her on Twitter at Rebecca Lyons. That's R-E-B-K-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It um, it shows up in my email inbox when that happens, and I feel like it, I live on it for like two days. So anytime I get a review, it makes me very happy. Please do it. The Calling is reproduced by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0.